all know a guy who only occasionally shaves for big occasions, and it's because that occasional shave really hurts. It's the time of year for big occasions, and yet there he is, suffering with that cheap drugstore razor. Let's help him out. Henson Shaving's line of razors, built with aerospace precision, deliver a smooth shave your dad, brother, and even son can enjoy, eventually. With replacement blades just 10 cents each, you'll buy it once, and they'll use it for life. How's that for the perfect gift? Celebrate with 100 free blades on your first purchase, and no subscription headaches. HensonShaving.com slash holiday. Um. Come near and listen to the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be brought low, and the rough way smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Prepare ye the way of the Lord, and make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Behold, I send my messenger, who shall prepare the way. Let the earth hear, and all that is in it, and all things that come from it. Repent! Come near! And listen to the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Repent! The anger of the Lord is upon all nations. Repent! One coming who will baptize with fire. Repent. Repent. <laughs> wow. I'm I'm sitting here relaxing. I'm looking at one of my of one of my favorite epic Bible movies called The Greatest Story Ever Told. And what you are hearing is a scene from uh, Charlton Heston, who's playing John the Baptist in this in this um, biblical epic Jesus movie. And he's preaching, repent, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And I'm listening to this because what's happening according to this scene you know, according to this scene, the Bible reads it a different way, the uh, the correct way. But according to this movie, which is a very good movie, and my book, it's showing a lot of people coming to John the Baptist to be baptized in water, to be baptized in water from different areas of Jerusalem, Israel, etc., stuff like that, from the nation of Israel, coming from different areas to be water baptized men women maybe some children to be water baptized in Jerusalem and he's with a very powerful awesome voice like Charlton Heston has he's shouting repent 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 what do you think about when you hear the word repent as a believer, as a Christian, what do you think about when you hear the word repent? Think about that. And I'll get back with you on that. Hello, everybody. This is Joseph Brownlee, your host of Body of Christ Real Talk. Welcome, welcome to the show. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Body of Christ Real Talk. Hello, everybody. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. And to my night listeners, as I often say, welcome to Body of Christ Real Talk. Spiritual obesity. 
that's the series that I'm doing for the last several days. Uh, last week is a series I'm doing on, uh, which is titled Spiritual Obesity. Now, for the ones just tuning in, uh, I'd like to get a disclaimer out there about why do I use that metaphor. It's, uh, it's relating to the same thing as a physical obesity, uh, which is a series I have done before this one. A previous it has about two, ten episodes. I recommend you check that out. It has a lot of information on there. Uh, if you're interested in the high-protein, low-carbohydrate weight loss, because that's the only diet that I recommend in that series. I'm not saying it's the best, but it's the one I recommend and, and on, you know, for myself and for others that's really obese and in bad health conditions. It's called physical obesity. What is the real diet, especially here in America? So I started off uh, maybe five, six episodes, five episodes ago on spiritual obesity. What spiritual obesity is dealing with in a spiritual sense, using it allegorically, is the, and study the bad carbohydrates uh, and the bad foods. In a spiritual sense, I'm, 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 I'm putting it in a sense of bad doctrine, false doctrine, error in the church traditions you know and programs so that's what I'm doing in a spiritual sense when I talk about spiritual obesity and I, and I often say I'm going to say this again I have to keep repeating myself because I don't know who what new listeners that I have it's nothing that's biblically biblically uh, uh, it's not a biblical fact it's nothing that was has been proven in the Bible. It's not in the Word of God, and it's also not no scientific proof when it comes to this uh, spiritual obesity. It's just a name that I gave it metaphorically, metaphorically that I use in an allegory uh, for a meaning of what what I'm trying to get across. Okay, so I wanted to get that out there for the for my new listeners or for my curiosity listeners. It's just. Uh, uh, Searching and looking for podcasts to listen to, and maybe they need some spiritual word, or they just need something from the Bible, whatever it is. You know, I just like to get that out there before I start. Now, the uh, the first four shows is mainly dealing with uh, the history and the beginning of denominationalism. That's what I started off. I thought it was important to deal, first of all, in this series, the history of denominationalism and the Protestant church, not the Catholic church. You know, that's a whole new separate, separate teaching that I may do. I may do. I don't know. But I wanted to deal with the Protestant church. So in order for you to understand the beginning of the church if you don't already know these for the ones that don't know you could do your own research a matter of fact i recommend that you do your own research when it comes to the uh the beginning of uh not the church the beginning of denominationalism historically told you know according to history and what you will find out that the, the Catholic Church was the predominant dominant church. You might say, okay, what was the, bit, the beginning of the church? You think about the Protestant church. Those are the ones that keep up with the history of Christianity. So you think about Martin Luther, the, uh, the German monk, you know, which was a Catholic back in 1557 and the 1500s, etc., stuff like that. You know, but what I wanted to do is go back a little further before that. You know, was what what happened before, you know, it got to Martin Luther when he found that verse uh, in the Bible, Romans one and seventeen, uh, that you can only be saved by faith alone. In Romans one and seventeen. So I tried to go back a little further than that. You know, whatever happened to the followers of the gospel? Now, the gospel uh, that was presented for salvation and doctrine 
was not the kingdom gospel. It was not the gospel of the 12 apostles, meaning Peter, John, and James, and none of them. You know, it was the gospel of the Apostle Paul, saved by grace alone. You know, salvation message, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 and 4, Ephesians 2 and 8, etc., and several other scriptures. It was the doctrine and the gospel of the Apostle Paul was the last gospel message that was uh, going out at that time. You know, the kingdom message was postponed, was postponed because of the unbelief of Jerusalem and the leaders in Israel. So they, they was postponed. So God went to the Gentiles. In other words, he went to the world and he uh, presented a hidden mystery to go out to the Gentiles as, and stuff like that. And ever since then, a few thousand years ago, the gospel message was the message of the Apostle Paul, which is the gospel for today as well. Okay. Now, what I wanted to find out, find out, Paul had many followers because he did not travel with Peter or any other, other apostles. He was divided and separated from them because he had a different message for the Gentiles. You understand what I'm saying? Peter, James, John, and all the other uh, apostles' message was to Israel and to the Jews, but their message was postponed. The new kid in town, like I like to call it, was the gospel of the grace of God. God's grace and mercy uh, his grace gospel was now the gospel on the scene today, and it was just it was only uh, revealed to the Apostle Paul. Okay, so that's what I'm going to. You can have a different look at what happened to what after Peter and them, but I'm not. I, I want to stay focused on what the gospel and the message is supposed to be today. What happened to Paul's followers? Paul had many different followers. And I mentioned their names. You got to go back and check all that out. Silas, Barnabas, Timothy, Apollos, you know, different followers Paul had. Who took over the mantle and who went out with the gospel of grace message after the death or the martyrdom of Paul? And that's where I wanted to go. So it's a kind of a great area and it's not a lot of uh, history on that. Like I said, it might be in the Maccabees. It might be something that for I don't know because I don't I don't look at those. I don't read those books. I don't just don't have too much of an interest in that book. You know, I'm not saying it's bad, but I just never even looked into those books. But they might have because there's a lot of fictional books out there or something that somebody else wrote said it was about somebody. So I don't want to get into nothing after that or whatever like that. So I'm just going basically what the Bible presents. And if the Bible don't present what happened to them, I leave it at that. But I know it's probably it's, it's usually some type of historians like Josephus, etc., and other historian Bible historians that you know had history, maybe had some history on the followers of Paul and whatever like that. So it's it's a lot of different, uh, not factual events that maybe happen to these but it's it's a lot of hearsay whatever like that when it comes to history of that so that's what i tried to find out you know not so much the the beginning of the writing of the bible because you have several like tendale Wycliffe, and uh you know covid coverdale and all that in the geneva bible i'm not talking about the bibles i've done that before i just want to talk about who took over the message of the gospel of the grace message and when what when did it really start getting you know uh twisted and tainted okay before the catholic church became the catholic church so i only know as far as through constantine and the roman empire and the birth of the catholic church in that in that in that theology that somewhere at that time, Paul's message got lost and it got, uh, it got lost. I heard something about that and it got, you know, really messed up. It started getting mixed up. It started getting mixed up with the kingdom and stuff like that. So Satan really done a job to make sure Paul's message for the gospel and doctrine for the day, he wanted to stop that. I have no doubt that Satan has the big hand of the confusion, the beginning of the confusion of what's going on today that started all these traditional and old spiritual obesity in these churches, denominations. 
See, because remember, uh, we have to remember God has one church, which is the body of Christ. That's the church over the last couple of thousand years. The church is the body of Christ, which was led by the Apostle Paul. See, and uh, that's without any manipulation and uh, just say if it wasn't no manipulation or it wasn't no type of censorship uh, back then of his message that would be the clear message for the day for the church itself and you would not have all these denominations but there's no way that was going to happen because we live in a world of sin and we have the prince of the power of Satan is the little G God of this world and he got hoodwinked and bamboozled because he thought he took care of everything by uh, having Jesus crucified on the cross. He had no idea about this message. He had no idea that God had a card. Or- we all know a guy who only occasionally shaves for big occasions, and it's because that occasional shave really hurts. It's the time of year for big occasions, and yet there he is, suffering with that cheap drugstore razor. Let's help him out. Henson Shaving's line of razors, built with aerospace precision, deliver a smooth shave your dad, brother, and even son can enjoy, eventually. With replacement blades just 10 cents each, you'll buy it once, and they'll use it for life. How's that for the perfect gift? Celebrate with 100 free blades on your first purchase, and no subscription headaches. HensonShaving.com slash holiday. There's only one road into Key West. But you won't believe where it can take you. Travel back in time to a city rich with history. Discover amazing artists and musicians. Taste seafood fresh off the boat. Or just kick back and soak up the island vibe. For more about Key West, visit flakeys.com. Key West, close to perfect, far from normal. Ready. See, God knows all things, omnipresent, om- omnipotent, all-powerful, all things. Satan is not. So Satan got whooped in the wisdom challenge. So he's double upset now. So hey, there, of course, he's going to try to manipulate the real message, the real gospel through the Apostle Paul through ages. So, so anyway, uh, that's what I wanted to try to as best as I can so my listeners can get to understand that's more of a, a movement of God through people after the death of the apostles. That's what I want people to understand that it does not stop there. There's still a story even today until the catching away of the church for the body of Christ. See? for the body of Christ. So there was always others that was carrying a torch after the martyrdom of Paul. Peter and Paul got martyred about, uh, uh, from what I heard, the same time. I don't have no dates on there, but approximately about the same time, you know. And, uh, you know, you can kind of get a little bit of that in Second Peter and also in Second Timothy. Second Peter, when it comes to Peter, and then Second Timothy, when it comes to Paul's teaching, they was at the end. Paul was in prison, he, and both of them somewhat got martyred. History has it that Peter got martyred upside down. Now, this is another history theory. Has it that Peter got martyred uh, upside down, hung on a cross upside down? Now, how true is that? I don't know, but that's history. Uh, And Paul was beheaded. You know, that's almost a proven right there. Both of them in history had a, they was martyred. They were martyred and everything, but we we don't have, John lived the old age. From what I heard, John was the last apostle. He lived longer than any other apostles. There's not no records and many records in the Bible of what happened to the other apostles. See, and because you know, the Bible don't get into the details. The word of God doesn't get into the details of what happened to all the apostles or the followers of Paul or Peter or the, uh, uh, the rest of the disciples when it came to Peter or the, uh, the, the few uh, apostles and his followers like Timothy and Titus and, you know, Silas, Apollos and Mark and Luke and all them. The Bible doesn't put any more emphasis on that after the writings of Timothy. But you have different historians might have some type of uh, history on the followers of the Apostle Paul in particular. Okay.
So that's what I was dealing with. The beginning of different dominance. So since I'm very limited on that, I just went with the uh the uh the more known historical facts of the beginning of the church false Christianity modern wise and it started with Martin Luther, you know, which started the uh the Protestant church. And then John Calvin broke out with the Reformation, both of them from the the pedigree of the Catholic Church. See what they didn't it was it was something they didn't like about the Catholic Church, so they split, you know, not together because Calvin and Luther did not agree on certain doctrines. It had, I think it had something to do with the uh, the Lord's Supper and everything. One felt that it was literally meant to, uh, to take the Lord's Supper, you know, physically, and the other one thought it was spiritually and different. It was probably more than that, but that's the little bit that I know. So they split. Luther and John Calvin did not agree, but they did split it off. But after them, there was many splits. That many denominations started from there from Luther, then it starts spreading from there, the different Episcopalian Methodist Church, you know, the, uh, you know, the, uh, just the Protestant Church in general, the Episcopalian Church, the Methodist, the uh, different things, and then you have, you know, you'll spread off all the Assemblies of God and stuff like that, and then, you know, later on down the line, you'll have the Pentecostal movements and the Charismatic movements, but before that, I'm, I'm sorry, the Baptist, so it, it's, it's an order after that, because you have the Baptist you know, the Anabaptist, then the Baptist, then you had the, uh, later on down the line in 1906, you had the, the Pentecostal movement, then back in the night, then going into the 1960s, you had the Charismatic movement and stuff like that. Well, anyway, all these denominations start spreading. Now, you have thousands and thousands of denominations today. You have thousands and thousands of denominations today. Okay? And, uh, that's what I wanted to try to the best way I can. This is not a whole uh, deep, exhausted history of Christianity. I, that's that's not what that's not what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to give you a basic, uh, short-term history on you know the point I'm trying to make. How all this tradition and spiritual obesity and wrong doctrine started in Christendom or the church, the body of Christ. Okay. So that's just a little short breakdown what I'm trying to do because this is very important. Now, when I opened up, I talked about repent. And I believe the majority of the people when they hear the word repent they think about repenting of sins stop sinning the reason I can say that because that's a traditional uh, teaching that we was taught in our church or our upbringing that that's what repent meant you know changing or stop sinning repent of your sins and you know and that's that's very provable. Many churches still believe that now you have to repent of your sins to get right with God and whatever like that. But uh, even that word is misused, is misinterpreted, you know, because repent means change your mind. Now, change your mind also means change your ways and stuff like that. But when you know uh what really happened at the cross when it came to sins, when I'm going to talk about when I get to forgiveness later on down the line, you would know why the appropriate way to use repent is change your mind, not not repent of your sins. Because basically, as long as we have a sin nature, we can't stop sinning. Now, uh, some people sin more than others, but when you have this sin nature, which, which was uh, birthed from Adam, after he sinned in the beginnings, we have a sin nature that we cannot stop sinning. In other words, after Adam's sin, we was born, everybody after Adam was born and Eve was born in sin. Okay? So we have a sin nature that we can't stop sinning. But we can 
change our minds and try to change our ways, but the sin part cannot be stopped. But traditionally, you know, out of lack of education and stuff like that, we was told that repent mean repent of sins, at least in my denomination of upbringing. I always was led to believe repent meant repent of sins because that's what I heard in my church. That's what I heard it meant in my church. Now, just that look misinformation about uh, about repent just that look that misinformation about that that term you know it's just a little bit that little term right there is not even uh, a nibble or a pearl of the miss uh, the bad doctrine or the false doctrine or the traditional doctrine that's slowing down a lot of believers in the body of Christ today See, that's nothing. There's a lot of traditions, a lot of terms that's used today that is misinterpreted or the meaning is misrepresented or, you know, stuff like that. That's uh, it's up in churches, church buildings, the four walls of the church that started a lot of uh, uh, slugness and growth in the body of Christ today and the church buildings. See, this was a master plan by the enemy, the prince of the power of the air, the god of this world, Satan. He manipulated the church so bad that you have many denominations, you have many doctrines. But at the same time, many people, many churches, and many denominations really sincerely, I have no doubt that a lot of them do it, does it uh, believe sincerely that they are preaching the word of God, they are teaching uh, the word of God, you know most most churches will say that they're teaching the word of God, they will even go as far as they're teaching the word of God the right way so most denominations will claim that, that you know, and they will say they have the infallible word of God and they are preaching the word of God that's why they split it from this church that's why this church split it from that church that's why that church split it from this church you, you, you understand what I'm saying and that's why you have so many denominations out there it's so bad it has been so bad through history you know you had one break off from the Catholic Church which was uh, this old, this little German monk called Martin Luther, he broke off and stuff like that because he found in the scriptures itself, the uh, Romans 1 and 17, from what I heard, and found out that it was faith alone to be saved, very contrary to what the, the Catholic Church taught. So... I guess he had a few debates and stuff like that, and they, you know, they just, they just didn't agree on a lot of things, and he had his, they call it what, the 95 Thesis, or the 90, I don't know too much what that is, but it was some type of thing that he put on the wall of the church or the door of the church. You know, you have to look in that yourself. I never really got too much on that. What is what his thesis was? I will talk. I will get into that maybe another time. But anyway, it was a disagreement. He was the first break off from the the then predominantly so-called church, which was the Catholic Church, which dominated for years. Even today, the Catholic Church, building-wise, uh, is the most powerful church in the world today. The Catholic Church the most powerful and the most wealthiest church and the most influential church even today is the Roman Catholic Church even today. You know, they are worshipped more, they are looked up to more, they have the popes. No other churches had no popes. They had leaders, but they never had popes. So a lot of that their doctrine, a lot of their teaching and their dogma is spread worldwide more than any other church, the Catholic faith. See, the Catholic faith is spread worldwide, black and white, Asian, Latino, whatever. They're very, they're very big in the Latino area, and, and uh, you would say the Italians are very big in the Catholic Church. But they are worldwide, you know, all ethnic groups, ethnicities. The Catholic Church are still today the most powerful church in the world today. See. 
But in the beginning, see, even back then, they were coming out of uh, the Romans, you know, I, 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 you know, what Constantine allowed the Christians then to worship and stuff like that, you know. But his motive is another story because it wasn't so much because he was a Christian and he loved the Christian. It was more political because he allowed the pagans as well. So it was more political. That's another story in itself as well. A lot of things I talk about is a story in a story. So it takes more to talk about. So, I, But I don't want to get off subject. So I don't want you to think Constantine was some type of saint and just really was a full Christian. Like some movies portrayed him, you know, that he seen a cross in the heavens or something like that. And he became a Christian, whatever like that. From what I hear, the historical facts about Constantine, it wasn't so much like that, but he did he did open the doors for the Christians to worship and stuff like that, but it was more political than faith, you know, or him becoming a Christian. I think he just used that term for political reasons. Okay, now, you think about the history of Christianity. And I really want you to look at it. I really want you to think, you know, and do your research. That's what I want you to do. Do your research on the history of your church, whatever denomination you are in. And like I said in my earlier podcast, my first podcast, research and find out what your statement of faith is in your church. I'm not telling you to leave your church. I keep repeating myself and I'm not telling you to stay at your church. I'm just saying at least know what your statement of faith is at your church. Something I did not do. You can Google it. You know, you can look into a lot of statements of faith of a denomination. Well, you can an independent church. I'm just talking about a, a, a denominational church that was bred from the Lutheran, Catholic, uh, Catholic Episcopalian uh you know, Methodist, Baptist, or, you know, Pentecostal, whatever like that, whether it was Church of God, whatever bounced off those churches, because you have so many, but all churches, mainly all churches, I believe, have some type of statement of faith. They might not have it lined up on their wall, but they have some type of literature, what they believe in, or you could be one of the ones that have been going to those churches over 10, 20, 30 years, and you know what comes from the pulpit. You know what's taught from the pulpit, see, because you've been there a long time, or it might be a family church, etc. Like my church, my church was a family church. My pastor was my granddad. We all know a guy who only occasionally shaves for big occasions, and it's because that occasional shave really hurts. It's the time of year for big occasions, and yet there he is, suffering with that cheap drugstore razor. Let's help him out. Henson Shaving's line of razors, built with aerospace precision, deliver a smooth shave your dad, brother, and even son can enjoy, eventually. With replacement blades just 10 cents each, you'll buy it once, and they'll use it for life. How's that for the perfect gift? Celebrate with 100 free blades on your first purchase, and no subscription headaches. HensonShaving.com slash holiday getting caught in the wrong shoes can interrupt your plans for the day like when that 10 percent chance of rain ends up looking more like 100 percent. when the transition to fall and winter feels more like experiencing every season on the same day there's the allbirds mizzle collection these shoes were made for misty morning walks surprise snow days and anything a trip to the dog park might bring the whole collection brings together water repellent technology and classic style so you can stay warm, dry, and comfy during your everyday adventures. Cross off errands with the splash protection on the wool runner mizzle. Dash through cold and wet weather with all-conditioned traction and reflective details on the wool dasher mizzle. Or upgrade to next-level protection with the mudguard on the wool runner-up mizzle plus. Go to allbirds.com and use code FRESHSOCKS for a free pair of socks with your purchase. A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code FRESHSOCKS. Called him Grandpapa, Elder Paul Brownlee. He was a church. He was a pastor of the First Rock of Ages Church. That's just the name of the church. But the denomination was Church of God in Christ, Pentecostal Church, okay? So I didn't ever think about reading a statement of faith or nothing like that because what we was taught, we had YPWW, we had, uh, we had more than Sunday school. We had a program called YPWW, the acronym for Willing uh, Young People's Willing Workers. That we we just uh, studied the history of the Bible through those pamphlets, some good studies and everything, et cetera, and stuff like that. So we learned, but at that time, 
when I was learning, and I'm speaking for myself, when I was learning and I was taught, I just thought that's what the Bible was teaching. I just thought that I didn't look at it as a, a, a traditional uh, denominational, you know, uh, doctrine of teaching. I didn't look at it like that. I just thought whatever whatever was coming out. And this is when I was younger now. That's what the God was saying in his word. It was almost like reading a commentary like I used to. You know, these guys know what they're talking about. These pastors, these teachers know what they're talking about and stuff like that. So I just took it as God speak, God's word when I was, you know, growing up spiritually in the church of God in Christ. Like a lot of you guys and young ladies know about the same thing. So because my head was there, but not my heart. Okay, my head was there, not my heart. Why do I say that? Because it, I, I didn't go to church because I had a will and a passion to go to church or get closer to God. At that age, I went because we was told it was mandatory. We was forced to go to church because that was the thing to do. We didn't want to go to hell. The majority of my family and even around surrounding neighborhoods, we didn't want to go to hell, you know. And, and the majority of the preaching was mainly preaching was hell and damnation type of preaching because you got to remember it was a Pentecostal church very loud preachers sweating and stuff like that and devil was taught it was mainly on how sinful you was how you must repent of your sins that which was taught like I talked about early and you need to stop doing this you need to be baptized in water you need to be this you need to be filled with the Holy Ghost after salvation you need to get the gift of speaking in tongues laid on down the line because I always used to see that in the church and it kind of scared me more than uplifting when I seen people hollering and screaming and slobbing at the mouth because we was told we had to say Jesus so many times and our people mouth gets used to, used to get so foamed up with uh, it just looked that nasty but I was believing that was the Holy Spirit because traditionally that's what I was told I didn't think of now if I look at that now any t when you see some foam coming out somebody's mouth the first thing I would think about man that's demonic man or they having a seizure but at that time it was pictured and told that that was the Holy Ghost. Now, I'm not saying they didn't, they done it on purpose. I believe the majority of the church was ignorant. They did not know, you know, especially a lot of Pentecostals. They wasn't very educated. A lot of them, I'm not saying all, they wasn't very educated. And they, they were just going what they was told by their church leaders and forefathers, if you want to call it that. So that's what I grew up around. So that's the, that's the only uh, picture of Christendom that I knew. I didn't know too much about the body of Christ, but I just knew about being born again and being uh, filled with the Holy Spirit and stuff like that. And it used to scare me that I didn't want him. I didn't want no Holy Spirit, man. All this, they tearing up chairs and running around the church and hollering, screaming and foaming at the mouth and stuff like that, man. It just was more weird and eerie back then. And my and and my upbringing of the church of God in Christ. Now it's somewhat mellowed down now, but I'm letting you know what was the beginning of my doctrination and traditional upbringing when it came to the church that affected me years and years down the line. Okay, you understand what I'm saying? So you have to look at your upbringing of your denomination or whatever upbringing, whether it's a family church or whatever church you was brought up with, you know. See, so that's my story. You got yours, whether it's Pentecostal or Catholic or Baptist or Lutheran or Methodist or Episcopalian or Presbyterian or Assemblies of God or whatever. You know, you have your story when you was growing up in the church. Uh, there was a strong dress code. Especially for the women. The women could not wear no pants. The women could not wear makeup. It was like uh, they could not cut their hair. Now, later on down the line, yes, but when I was growing up, no, the majority of the women had their real hair. They didn't have no extensions. I'm not saying there was no wigs then, but they basically had their long hair. Some of them had beautiful hair. See, I, in a black 
I'm talking about the black ethnicity, you know, the black beautiful hair and stuff like that because it, they wasn't allowed to cut it because of what they got out of the Bible, women, you know, not cutting their hair and different things like that. So a lot of traditional things were in the church of God and Christ growing up, the dress code, women dressing modest. You know, I didn't know that then, but modesty and whatever like that. That's why women are usually growing up. You know, you will. I would look at that as I got older in the church and said, man, they don't even dress right. They, they dress old fashioned. They wear old clothes, but they was traditionally in bondage to dress, you know, and bondage to dressing. I'm going to be honest with you. The way some of those ladies dressed. Some of the women in church need to dress like that now because it's just show and tell in church now, man. It's little, it looks like a club now. And I'm just not knocking the females. I'm just talking about the dress code, period, man. You go into church now, you think you're in some type of club or you think you're some some type of fashion stay, uh, fashion show, especially in the black church, especially in the black church you know, today. But I'm just trying to go back when I was growing up, the modesty, the, the long hair. Now, you don't have many uh, Pentecostal churches that really strict on the dress code now, but you still have some. You still have some to several uh, denominational churches from the Pentecostal movement that still have a strict um uh, strict order or mandate on dress. Now, some of them, they tell you to come as you are now. But some of them, they still don't allow the women to wear pants or makeup or nothing in some, still some Pentecostal churches. You have the oneness movement, the Methodism, they believe the oneness church. You have the universal churches. Those are all, they, they don't, they don't, they don't follow the Trinity. They don't believe in the triune. They don't believe in the Godhead. You know, uh, they just believe Jesus is the God, the Father, God, the Son, and all that. Everything is through Jesus. Even when they try, when they baptize in water, they baptize in Jesus' name, Jesus' name only. Okay, because they believe Jesus is all deity, God and everything. They don't believe in the Godhead. Those are uh, universal Pentecostals and oneness churches. Uh, you may call them stuff like that. Most of those churches are still strict when it comes to the dress code and stuff like that. And they read a lot of Paul's epistles, but they take it so literally for the time today. So women are somewhat uh, told that they can only dress covered up in different things, no cutting hair, no makeup and stuff like that. And, you know, for each his own, but it's not an individual choice when it comes to those Pentecostal churches. Like I said, every Pentecostal church, including the Church of God and Christ and Assembly of Gods, are not like that. You know, and they went more uh, secular in their dress clothing while some of the universal churches and the oneness churches or some, you know, I don't know about the apostolic, but I, I'm just going to name the ones that I know have a real strict, a uh, real strict policy on dress code, mainly the women. The men don't have a problem. Men just strictly wear suits in the black church, mainly in the black church, Pentecostal, universal uh, oneness church. They wear suits, nice suits. But the women... And some of these churches, they look like uh, the Quakers almost. You know how the Quakers used to, the old Quakers, you know, the, you know, different things that they were done to missionaries and stuff like that, the different countries, the Quakers and stuff like that. They had a, they have even today some of them, a modest or old fashioned young women look like they're 50 years old, you know, because they believe they have so, uh, indoctrinated and dress over doctrine now what do I mean by that because a lot of them you could talk to uh, they're not that well breaded in the word of God now they know how to quote scriptures they know how to quote certain things but it's everywhere it's usually all out of context and stuff like that they are so uh, legalistically in, in other words, traditionally indoctrinated by whatever their pastor teaches, which is not a good thing. Okay, they it's it's almost like there's no freedom to go outside the box. I doubt if they even allowed to go to another denomination. That's almost like an occult. 
It's almost like a, a cult, you know, in some of these churches, you know. Now, where I'm going with this, maybe some of you was in churches like that. I grew up in a church like that, see. And it affected me and my belief in God as I got older. So, you think about from my childhood, and I was going to church since I was a little baby. I don't know how young, but I was a little baby, you know, because my granddad, he had the strong arm, he had the stronghold, my grandpapa, and we was all made to go to church. My dad broke away from that later on down the line, but we was all, we all went to church because I stayed at my grandma's house and love. So I had a lot of traditional Pentecostal upbringing in me, see? And you think about that, uh, all that traditional doctrine that was built up in my psyche, in my mind, that's where the spiritual weight gain come from, spiritual. So you carry all that in you, and it also depends how long you've been in your denomination, when you break out or if you break out or if you just leave the church, that type of, I don't care if you just say, I don't want to be a Christian no more. That, well, you can't do that anyway, but I'm getting to that later on. You carry that weight, weight of traditional dogma wherever you go. See, some people uh, go into a marriage with that type of thinking, traditional Christian thinking. You might have a marriage where a husband is from one denomination and a wife is from another. You know, they have a little head-to-head -head going at it because of their different, different doctrinal beliefs about what the Bible is saying. Or you might have some, some, some couples that's in the church will not marry another person outside their denominational uh, you know, perish. They would just marry somebody that's in the, the uh, Church of God in Christ or whatever like that. So it's different ways. It depends what's been taught in your church. See, you have some churches uh, don't allow interracial marriages, you know, and they use the Bible for that reason. You understand what I'm saying? They're against interracial marriages and stuff like that. You know, white not marrying black, they're against marrying black because if they, they look at certain traditional teachings that they supposedly get out of the Bible and plus man-made traditions of racism and stuff like that added on with it. It all has to do with upbringing, what you was upbringing, what you was taught. See, that's what it got. It ain't nothing you got from the Bible or nothing you learned on your own. I often say our information always comes from somebody else, whether it's a person, whether it's books, whether it's television or something. It comes from somebody else. See, it's just a, it's just a matter how far we carry it. So that's why it's, it's so much confusion. I hope you understand what, what, what I'm getting to. Okay. And the repent of sins is very broad it, the, a lot of the church I'm not going to say the majority still believe today I know the unsaved do is repent means repent of your sins you know but there's a lot of other traditions now let me talk about traditions all traditions are not bad okay and I'm going to go with this. I'm not going to keep the last next uh, shows real long. All traditions are not bad. All traditions are not bad. Now, let me give you an example when it comes to the traditions of the Word of God, the Bible. First, let me say this. The majority of denominationalism, the churches, church buildings today, whether it's whether they're in the whether you're in the body of Christ or you just go to church, the majority of Christendom's doctrine is basically from the four gospels. It's the kingdom doctrine, the kingdom message. It's the four 
Gospels, okay? Majority of the churches teaches out the four Gospels and Old Testament and stuff like that and some Paul's teaching letters. Now, we all know a guy who only occasionally shaves for big occasions, and it's because that occasional shave really hurts. It's the time of year for big occasions, and yet there he is, suffering with that cheap drugstore razor. Let's help him out. Henson Shaving's line of razors, built with aerospace precision, deliver a smooth shave your dad, brother, and even son can enjoy, eventually. With replacement blades just 10 cents each, you'll buy it once, and they'll use it for life. How's that for the perfect gift? Celebrate with 100 free blades on your first purchase, and no subscription headaches. HensonShaving.com slash holiday what not only you have an issue when you teach it around doctrine first of all the four gospels those doctrines are true those doctrines are relevant see see those are true doctrines even the way to get saved. Those are true doctrinal ways. And those were, that was the gospel way of getting saved back then was what? Do you know? The four gospels. If you read the four gospels, what was the criteria or the way to be saved back then? It's believe, first of all, the most important was, was believing who Jesus was, believing in Jesus, believing that he was the Messiah and believing he was the king. Now, let me put specifics on this. That, that salvation wasn't for every nation. That salvation was only for Israel. Very important to understand that. That salvation message was only towards Israel. Why? Because in time past, through the prophets, through the law, Israel was promised a king and a kingdom. See, ever since the fall of man, the beginning from Adam, Israel, the Jews, the Genesis is basically about the Jews, especially when we start the Genesis 12. On down to Genesis uh, 50, it's about Israel. It's about the Jews, not the Gentiles. It's about the Jews. All through that, through the first promise, promise to Abraham, God promised Abraham a future kingdom for the Jews. See, okay? So let me get past that. I'm not going to get into that, but my point is from there, God's promise was to Israel. After the Mosaic law, which started about Exodus 24, when the law came in about Exodus 24, the law was to what people? Israel. Was to the Jews. Was to Israel. Okay? And they, all through that, they was promised. Through all their struggles and, you know, and stuff like that, they was promised a future king and kingdom. I put king first because you can't have a king if you don't have a king, see, you know, and Israel went through that. But before Israel even had a king, they was under the theocracy. They was led by God, see, through the pillar of clouds and, you know, uh, clouds in the daytime and fire by night and different things like that were miraculous signs and wonders. They was led by God. But later on down the line, they they start craving and wanting things like the Gentiles, which was a king. See, you can read that in the book of First and Second Samuel, stuff like that. And they wanted a king. They start crying. They wasn't satisfied even with all the signs and wonders that God done with them and through them. The miraculous things he had done with Israel, they still was disobedient that he had to wipe a lot of them out and start again. You know, redoing the law in the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy means do it again, saying it over, or teaching them, getting them prepared. See, he done all this bringing Israel and bringing the Jews through, through history, through history, thousands of years of history, dealing with the Jews and Israel. Majority of the time they was disobedient and they had a lack of faith. The majority of the time, even today, disobedience and a lack of faith, but God's long-suffering and patience he still 
dealt with Israel under the law and everything. He had to wipe some of them out and everything like that. He still dealt with Israel. He came to a time he wanted to wipe the whole nation out, but by the plea of Moses, God did not do that. But let me go ahead with that. My point is God dealt with Israel, and through all that, since the fall of man, it was dealing with their new kingdom that God promised to Abraham, the father of all nations, that their kingdom was going to come through this king, and Israel was going to be the people that got brought the whole world in, including the Gentiles. It always been that way. The Jews was the ones to, supposed to go out to the world and save the world. See, remember, God gave the uh, the Gentile worlds a chance earlier after Adam and them sinned, you know, but they disobeyed and didn't listen to God or whatever like that, and he destroyed. He gave the Gentiles a chance, but they did not listen, so he destroyed them, you know, through the flood. The first time, it was the Gentiles. So he started his own, he created this group called the Jews through this Gentile named Abraham. Yes, Abraham was a Gentile through this Gentile named Abraham. And, you know, he went from there, from Genesis 12 and everything in the Hebrews. Abraham was, became a Hebrew and a Hebrew, you know, through the 12 tribes. He comes to Jews. The Jews came through the 12 tribes. And from there, you know, there was this movement that God was moving with Israel. Now, his plan was always to the whole world. Let's remember this. God's plan was for to redeem the whole world. But because of the, the evilness of man and the unbelief of men, God had to change dispensationally several times. Not he, he didn't change. Let me get this right. But he had to change because of the wickedness. He had to do things differently because of the wickedness of man. So therefore going through the, but it all had to do with Israel. That's very important to understand. So when the laws and all these traditions and different things came through Israel, it was for Israel. It was not for the Gentiles. Gentiles meaning all other nations. It wasn't for them, you know. So through Abraham all the way up into the king when he finally came to earth, which was Jesus, Jesus came to fulfill the law, not to take away the law. He came to fulfill it. See, not to take it away. So therefore, that's why Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are Old Testament. See, according to the book of Hebrews, uh, there cannot be a New Testament until the testator dies. So therefore, Jesus was still alive. So therefore, they were still under the law, under the Old Testament. The New Testament didn't start developing until after the death of Jesus. But you one thing you must understand when it comes to the Old and New Testament. I'm going to talk about that later on. I know I should have got into it today, but I'm going to cut this short. It's very important for the church, the body of Christ, to know this. To know this. History. Very important. It's all in your Bible. To know this history about the Old Testament, Israel, and the New Testament. It's a lot of confusion about the New Testament, big confusion, and also which is a traditional teaching in the church. Even uh, authors, I would say authors, but uh, printers of the Bible, the way they printed the Bible, they put it uh, Old Testament and New Testament. They had Old Testament started with Genesis, era, and they had New Testament started with Matthew, era. Both of those are errors. And I'm going to leave you with that. <laughs> you probably know why. I'm going I'm, to, I'm, I'm, I don't want to power everything over hour each night doing this. I want to just try to break it out a little segment so we can just get through this and, uh, and you can understand where I'm going with this spiritual obesity. But in, you, in order for you to understand what doctrine and what is supposed to be what is for you and I today and get rid of all this traditional weight and obesity we must understand the past we must understand some history there have to be everything about the Bible and the focus must be first of all Israel 
If you cannot separate Israel from being yourself, you will never learn the Bible like you should. Because you are making basically everything about you or everything today in this New Testament that you call it is about you. So once you get the history and you take the Bible literally of who it's talking to, you must do that. And Israel is about 95% of the Bible is about Israel. It's about the Jews. And it's not all pretty, but it's, it's still about the Jews. Promises, blessings, covenants, signs and wonders, all that stuff is Israel. It's Israel. See? Now, once you get a grasp of that and an understanding of that, and you look at that objectively when you read the Word of God, you would never read the Word of God the same. The Holy Spirit could therefore work with you because you learn how to rightly divide now. And once you start learning how to rightly divide, all those weights and obesity spiritually and traditions will fall off. They will fall off because truth will start being uh, revealed to you. See, you're more open. It's just like when you lose weight physically, you feel better. You want to exercise more. You got quicker wit. You can focus better. It's the same with the word of God when you get all of those weights and traditions, denominational traditions and errors start coming out of you. Just say parasites and stuff like that. Spiritual, uh, demonic influence. I'm not saying possessions, but influence out of you. Then you can see clearly you become more sharper and you're not easily hoodwinked and bamboozled by other false doctrine. Once you do this, I mean, I promise, I'm not saying you're going to be 100% there. Nobody is, but I'm saying you would be more useful for God to use you. And that's what should be your importance and your passion to be actually really used by God. A lot of things that people are doing, they're doing it on their own. They're saying the Holy Spirit leading them, but if it's false doctrine and stuff like that, the Holy Spirit's not leading you. You're leading yourself. Even if it's good things. See, what are you teaching? What are you ministering to? Is it the Word of God? See? Okay, but I'm going to get into that in the upcoming shows, Lord's Willie, but I'm going to deal more, I'm going to dive more into Old Testament and New Testament and then I'm going to try to finish off down the line and bring it a little close to home of what you must do to start uh, losing this spiritual uh, weight which is bad doctrine, false doctrine and traditional doctrine and stuff like that it's going to bother some people some people it's not going to want to believe it they won't accept it but at least I'm getting it out there. That's all I have to say. You don't have to agree or nothing like that, but I'm just trying, just like I talked about the diet. It's going to be your choice because at least I, I put it out there. Now it's on you. It's not going to be easy. You got your pros and cons. When you when you're trying to get rid of something, it's just like an addiction. You're trying to get rid of a drug or stop alcohol or sugar. It's the same thing when it comes to the word of God. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be uncomfortable. It might bring depression. It might bring emotional problems and everything like that because the enemy is going to attack you more because you're learning more now. And you're finally getting the truth. So you better believe the enemy going to attack you. So my thing is, are you ready? Are you prepared? If you're not, you're going to fall. I'm not saying you're going to lose your salvation because that ain't going to happen. I'm not saying that. But your growth will stay stagnant. Just like when you try to lose weight and you get off the program, your weight loss stalls. It's the same spiritually. When you get off God's program and the way God said what's for you today, your spiritual growth stalls. What I mean by stalling, you don't grow. You are saved, but you're not growing. Therefore, you can't help too many people. See? All right? Wow. So, I want you to be prepared. So, because I'm saying this is not for everybody. It's going to take some exercise. It's going to take some strict uh, uh, 
evaluation of yourself. But I'm going to tell you, it's worth it. It's worth it. And I'm still doing this today myself. All right? I want you to understand, I'm still doing this. And it's a beautiful thing. I still struggle. I still have my issues. But, man, I, I would rather take this than any other way of knowing how to rightly divide God's word. That's the best thing you can ever do to get close <clears throat> to God to finally know what God's word is really saying to you and I. See, because in the Bible, she's not talking to everybody. You want to know what's for you, the church today. And you will know that if you just stick with me and we just learn it together, okay? This is Joseph Brownlee. God bless you all. Body of Christ, real talk body of Christ real talk until next time I'm going to continue on uh, the part six of spiritual obesity and how to lose that spiritual weight which is bad doctrine and traditions that we all have been bombarded with God bless you love you all peace out bye bye we all know a guy who only occasionally shaves for big occasions, and it's because that occasional shave really hurts. It's the time of year for big occasions, and yet there he is, suffering with that cheap drugstore razor. Let's help him out. Henson Shaving's line of razors, built with aerospace precision, deliver a smooth shave your dad, brother, and even son can enjoy, eventually. With replacement blades just 10 cents each, you'll buy it once, and they'll use it for life. How's that for the perfect gift? Celebrate with 100 free blades on your first purchase, and no subscription headaches. HensonShaving.com slash holiday.